0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're closing out our 12-week series in the Book of Philippians together for the Gospel this morning. And I want to ask this question of you and of me. I've been asking it myself. How content are you? If you were to put your contentment on a scale of zero to 10, where do you think right now your kind of levels of contentment in your life are? And I say in your life, so I don't mean that content with the circumstances of your life, because you might be going through some terrible, horrendous, painful things. But in the middle of your life, if you were to take an assessment, how content are you? How at peace are you in the middle of the circumstances and the things of your life? How would you assess that? Let me just give you two phrases that I'm aware that go on in my mind. The first phrase is this How often do you think to yourself, if only? If only I had that thing, then I would finally be okay and settled and content. If only I had. that. If only I had that body, if only I had that money, if only I had that job, if only I had that girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife, or if I didn't have that, no, whatever. And how, how, how many times does the if only go through your mind? I mean, it's, I mean, on Friday morning, I dropped the kids off at school and I was going to find a coffee shop to go and prepare this sermon. And I was walking down the street And it occurred to me as I was walking down the street to go and prepare a message on contentment. I was looking at the street and the way it was lined with these trees. And it was beautiful and it was like flowering and the homes looked lovely and it was quiet. And the thought occurred to me out of my subconscious. I wonder if we should have moved to this street. This is a really nice street. And I caught myself literally thinking this thing as I was walking to prepare. It is like so prevalent. And the if language is a language of comparison. It's looking at what you've got in your life, the things and circumstances, and kind of looking over your shoulder at what other things are out there, and doesn't like your phone now just continually. How much can you scroll through on Amazon or Instagram or eBay to look at all the stuff that you don't have, and you're aware of all the things that your life lacks, and you're looking over the shoulder and think, if I had that, then? It's the language of comparison. Or, When? When we get that thing sorted, then we can finally be Settled and content. Once we get that done, when we do that, it's the language of the future, you're always looking into the future, and some people constantly live in the future, thinking, when, that, when I get that, when that thing, when, then I'm going to be settled, and then, the problem is, as we all know, once you get to that when, and you level up to that next place, what happens is, there's another level up, and you think, well actually, it never quite does it, but we're still looking, when, 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 I... Tori and I, we read a book, some of you have read it, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, about 18 months ago, two years ago. It's a fantastic book, and makes the point that so many of us are living with this, like, just swimming in discontentment. And Tori and I were looking at our, our we take Saturday as a Sabbath day, as a rest day, and basically what, we, what we've done up to this point is we'd say, like, we won't do any work, and then we'll just carry on and do, you know, just do other things that aren't work-related, which is fine, fair enough. But I realised, actually... Our conversation through the Saturday was generally filled with lots of ifs and whens. We'd sit in the house and we'd talk about when we would get the patio. How nice would that be? Oh, look at those outdoor furniture. When we get the outdoor furniture, how nice will it be? When we get those plants swords, how, when we get it painted, when we get that done, and we'd sit in our house and just continually talk about all the dreams and the hopes and the whens of when we get this, then we'll finally be able to rest. We'll never talk about it again, we promise. And so we we're reading this book, Feeling Convicted. We thought we we're gonna practice contentment. So we're not going to say anything that relates to comparison or anything about the future. We're going to try and live in the present. This is about a year ago during lockdown. So on a Friday night, we light a candle because that's what John Mark says is a good thing to do. So we light a candle and we mark the end of work and the beginning of Sabbath. And we say, "Okay, now we're moving into a different time. And do you know how hard it was? to even think of things to say to each other once we had eliminated all the when conversation and all the if only conversation. Like we literally, for Saturdays on end, Tor and I look at each other like, what do we talk about if we don't talk about the discontent? Like what are we gonna do in the future? How do you live actually in the present? Anyone find like this hard? Like you're always just wishing away your life, dreaming. And we know it's a problem because whenever we're living with the when or the if, we're actually killing our current joy. Because discontentment and joy cannot live together. If you're always living for the when, when I'm going to level up, when I'm going to get that, then I can be settled. If you're, you kill the ability to have joy in the present. If you're always comparing to... You know, and I was like, Instagram, like it's basically built on this. Like, look at other people's lives. Look at the fun they're having. Look how fabulous they look. Look how wealthy they are. Look at their home. Look how immaculate everything looks. Like, and you look at your life, think, well, it's it's basically feeding constant discontentment in our life. One of the most beautiful pictures, I think, in the scriptures is Psalm 23 of contentment, where David, who was a man who lived with pressure and tension and pain in his life, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You could look at his life and think, no, there's lots of things that could be better in your life. He says, no, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it's this picture, I think, of contentment that we all really do desire. So what I'm inviting us into and praying for us is to, to fight for contentment in our life. Because I think we all want it. I mean, if we put a straw poll, like, do we, want to be con- we want to kind of go to bed or live our days feeling like, no, I'm, I'm okay. And this is what we get with Paul. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, because the more I contemplated this week and how far I think my life is from contentment. And I just wonder for us as a society right now that we are so used to living with discontentment. And our society is built on feeding more and more awareness of the things that you don't have. That even as Christians, if you're a Christian here today Even as Christians, we have got used to a subpar level of joy Because we're always comparing and always thinking about the future I wonder whether we've settled It's the conclusion I came to I think I've probably settled for a level of joy that's down here When there is so much more on offer So that's what I would love to pray for us off the back of this So can I pray and then we'll get going Father thank you for your word thank you for this letter thank you for paul who has pastored us through these three months and father would you help us now would you would you enable us to see clearly would you grant us a joy that is profound and deep and lasting and not based on the circumstances or the things of our life and would you get all the glory we pray in jesus name amen amen so Paul let's take a little look at Paul and we're going to learn three things from him so his contentment and then we're going to learn three things firstly his contentment this is Paul he's in jail right now he's at the end of his life he's contemplating his death he is hungry it seems he is, he is needing a financial help. The Roman jail is not like today's jails where you get everything put on for you. Basically, you were left to your own devices if you had friends or family who could provide for you. That was your means of survival and getting food. So Paul lived for a long time before this financial assistance came to him, hungry and without. And then this financial gift comes to him and he writes this word back to them at the end of this letter. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. We don't know how many months or maybe year plus he lived with very, very little. How emaciated with Paul at this point. We don't know. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need so Paul says at the very end of the session now I want to say thank you for this gift But I have actually been learning the secret of contentment, that whether I am struggling with starvation in a Roman jail, facing my life and and death, or whether I am abounding, I'm actually content. I can be brought low. I can have nothing. And yet I found the secret of contentment. And I can have a lot in my life. I remember days, Paul would say, when there was an abundance for me. Money, prestige, position. And yet I still know contentment. Which is hard, because actually if you get stuff, rather than actually bringing contentment, it can actually raise up more discontentment, because you realise, well, there's, there's more out there, I want more, more and more. He says, no, I've learned the secret of contentment. So we're going to learn with Paul, and I'm going to just suggest three things for us. Three things that Paul did that we can do to gain contentment. Firstly, gain Christ. Secondly, let your desires roar, and thirdly, learn with Paul. So firstly here, gain Christ. Because Paul says, I've found the secret of contentment. That actually my heart's condition is not bound on my circumstances. I know what it is to live as the Lord of my shepherds say, I do not want. My soul is lying down in green pastures. I'm being led beside still waters on a Monday morning in the meeting with the emails in front of you. I know what that is like to live like that. And in verse 13, he gives us his secret because he says this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me which has probably got to be one of the mis, most misinterpreted Bible verses in all of Scripture. Because if you've seen American sports and you'll see like they, they put 413 or Philippians, there's a flip, there's somewhere on their body, there's Philippians 415. I can do all things. Basically, I am going to win this game. I am strong enough. There's a 300 kg on the bench. I'm going to bench press it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I can do, I've got a big to-do list this week. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's basically like a Christian self-help proverb to help you get your stuff done this week. Oh yeah, yeah, I can get all things done through him. Strengths me. But the accent lies on I can do all things. For Paul, in the context, what's he saying? He says, I know what it is like to have nothing, and I know what it is to like have everything. And he says, I can do all things. That is, I can live with nothing and I can live with anything. I can face either of these situations and still find deep, peaceful, restful contentment. Why? Through him who strengthens me. The accent is not on I can do all things. The accent is on through Christ, through him who strengthens me. He has found a power and a source in Jesus Christ who gives him the power to say when I have nothing... I have enough. And when I have everything, I have something better. The whole world has been taken from me. And Paul would say, But Christ, He is enough. He is the treasure of my life. Amen. Paul, you could give everything to Paul. You could give riches and fame and position and prestige. And he could say, I've got it all. And yet I have found something better. And His name is Christ. He says earlier in the the letter, he says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he could pity Paul and say, You're in jail. How can you find contempt? Surely you want to get out of this place. He said, No, no. I have enough. I have Jesus. I'm rich. And you could look at him with all of his wealth earlier in his life and his prestige and his prominence. You say, Paul, you've got everything and everything's going for you. I mean, you're you're making waves. It says, yeah, but I have something better. There is a surpassing worth in Christ. I could let all of this go in a moment because I found Christ Jesus. And this is the secret of Christianity, to find contentment, not in the circumstances, but in Christ. Because being a Christian, get me here, being a Christian is not suddenly discovering that you are actually more virtuous than you realised. Oh, no, no. I can wake up and go to church every Sunday. I could do that. It's not realising that, no, no, I I don't mind giving away my money. No, no, I I realise I'm more sacrificial than I realise. Actually, I'm a better person than I realise. Maybe I could be a Christian. Christianity is not that. Christianity is discovering that there is infinite treasure out there and you can throw away everything else to gain Jesus Christ. Jesus says it like this in the parable in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. I'm searching Aren't we just searching for life We're looking for I want life I want the thing That's going to give it to me Searching for fine pearls Who on finding one pearl Of great value Went and sold All that he had To buy it This Is Christianity You don't find Christ And saying Pat yourself on the back Like I'm sacrificing Quite a lot here Do you know the kind of TV's up to its game on a Sunday morning. I'm here, I'm in church, and I'm giving Jesus my due, and I'm sacrificing, even giving a little bit in the offering, and like, I'm actually becoming quite a sacrificial person. No, Christianity's saying, I've found treasure. All of that looks like rubbish to me now, because I've found treasure in Jesus Christ. You can take everything or give me anything. It doesn't matter, because I've got something of surpassing worth in Jesus Christ, It's this realisation, I was blind to the fact that Jesus was beautiful and glorious and splendid. But now my eyes have been opened to see that Christ, he is an infinitely worthy treasure. I was blind, but now I see. And we need to fight to see the beauty and the glory of Christ. So that when things do get torn from your hand in this life, you can still say, but I have enough because I have Christ. And when you do get the promotion, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the house, whatever it might be, you level up in life and you say, yeah, but I have something even better, and that's Christ. It can come and go. So firstly, we gain Christ, the infinite, surpassing, worthy treasure. And then secondly, we do this. We let our desires roar. Now let me explain this because most religions and philosophies are basically dealing with what we do with our desires in life because we all will admit we have desires, we have longings we have this urge in our hearts that sometimes feels so strong we don't know what to do with it we have this longing and sometimes this lust for life, the thing that is out there it feels like it's out there and I want it and all religions and philosophies basically are, are trying to deal with what do we do with the longings of our hearts that sometimes tire us out and so secular materialism that basically said the stuff is all you've got basically says if you get enough stuff and if you get the right stuff and the nice stuff and the upgrade you move out of the flat share or you manage to have your own flat and then you manage to buy your or you buy a not a flat now you're buying a house or you got a house with a garden now you got a car now or whatever it is you keep leveling up if you get this stuff and that's how marketing and capitalism, workspace. if you get this stuff, we're going to put it on offer, if you reach it and you consume it, then you will be content. So our current culture basically says to your desires, we've got a solution. It's a sofa. Look, it's £999. Pounds. If you buy this sofa, look how happy this family is and how content your life will be. Isn't this amazing? Like they're not just selling you a sofa, they're selling you contentment. Like car adverts, always at midnight or 1am, no one else is on the streets. And you're like, bombing around, like, whoa, if I drove that car, like, wow, how happy and peaceful would I feel? How cool would my life be? And it basically feeds you this narrative, have this, you'll be, that, it. we've got an answer, materialism says that. Well, we know that we go to this well and we drink thinking it's going to quench our thirst but actually it's like drinking seawater and we're left just more thirsty then what do we do we don't think why am i more thirsty for more stuff i'll go and find another cistern or another well we actually go back to the same well thinking that the same seawater will quench our thirst and we keep going back to the same well thinking if we keep going back if we keep leveling up if we keep going to the next place then it will somehow hit the bottom of my desires some eastern philosophies and buddhism in particular says kind of the opposite it says we all have desires and that's your problem your problem is that you want stuff you want material things and you want eternal life so the goal to peace and nirvana and contentment is to extinguish your desires like kill them just cut your desires off at the root because if you don't want anything like well, how are you going to get hurt you don't want anything, that's fine but the problem is we know we do want stuff and we do want life and there are longings in our heart for something is out there and christianity offers something so radically different it says that there is a, a god who created the physical world deliberately he created beauty and artistry and glory he created landscapes and sunsets and trees he, he created everything we had deliberately Like Hansel and Gretel's breadcrumbs to lead us home to him so that we might look around us and taste and see that. Yeah, this life is good, but it's leading me somewhere and it's taking us to the ultimate author of all that we have. God himself. Taste and see. Not that. Hey, this is great. I finally found a lifestyle that clicks with me. No taste and see that the Lord is good. That we follow the tracing of this world and all of our longings all the way to jesus christ we don't stop halfway with the material things we allow our desires to roar and say this world is not enough there must be something better and grander and more glorious and more beautiful than all that this world can offer we don't do what buddha says and try and extinguish our desires we allow our desires to roar and we say, I will not stop until I am satisfied and I have tasted and seen that this world cannot give me the bottom of my desires. I need something beyond this world. I need Jesus Christ. I need him. C.S. Lewis, he said in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, he said our problem is, is not that our desires are too strong. That's what a lot of us think. Like, I must just curtail my desires. Now, he said, Your problem is that your desires are far too weak. He says, We are satisfied with sex and food and our ambitions, thinking that that will be enough, not knowing that if we were to allow our desires to roar, we would go further than that and find a source of infinite joy in Jesus. So, our problem is we don't allow our hearts to really speak. To really go through this world, to find something beyond this. To you know what? I've sometimes quoted this, this, a quote from Jim Carrey. He said it recently, maybe a couple of years ago. Preaching kind of gets collapsed sometimes in time frames. But then he said, I wish everyone would get to taste wealth and fame to know that it's not really it. And I, I, was, I was contemplating it this week. I've, I probably quoted that three or four times in church. And I was like, I don't. I don't know if this is really landing, because I think what goes on in your head is the same thing that goes on in my head. Like, yeah, I guess that's true theoretically, but I still wouldn't mind trying. You know? <laughs> do you know what I mean? You were like, yeah, I guess it's nice if you've earned like a hundred million and you're still rolling in millions every month. Like, I, I wouldn't mind having a go myself and then find contentment. What do we? We need to allow our Passions to roar right now. Listen to your heart. What is it saying? Allow the furnace of your heart to burn strong. You will find yourself dissatisfied now and looking for Jesus Christ. And we need to find him. I can't do that for you. You need to go to him. But the offer is glory. So we need to allow our desires to roar. This is how Paul did it, because he gets this um, gift from the Philippian church. And he says this thing like for, you know, white British people as well. It sounds like a little bit kind of ungrateful. He says in verse 17, he says, you know, um, uh, not that, you know, I really seek the gift. He's saying, thank you. But, you know, almost like I didn't really need it, actually, because I'm actually quite content. (laughs) You think, all right, Paul, we'll have it back. Thanks. In that case, we've got other uses for it. But, what, but what's he saying? He's, he's putting into practice what has been under the surface the whole time. This whole letter, in a sense, has been a lesson in contentment. And now at the very end of the letter, he almost gives us this lesson, this kind of life lesson, when he's had nothing and then he has a lot. He's saying, look, actually, it's not really about the finance. Because he says, there's something far bigger going. He says, I seek the fruit that incre- increases to your credit. He's talking about it spiritually here. There is something that happens when you're giving and we give away. There is something far bigger that is happening in God than just the passing on of finances right now. Giving financially is not just like, oh, we've met a need. No, no, there is something far bigger in God that is happening. And he says, now I'm glad. And what does he say? I'm rejoicing, in verse 10, in the Lord. So he receives this financial gift and he doesn't kind of take it away like Smaug under the lonely mountain and just kind of swim in his money. No, what does he do? He says, actually, I'm taking this money and this is leading me through this gift to the ultimate giver in Jesus Christ. And I am rejoicing in him. All the things of this life that come my way actually are pathways, breadcrumbs back to my true home in Jesus. I'm rejoicing in God because of this gift. He puts it into practice for us. So we gain Christ and we let our desires roar. And thirdly, we need to learn with Paul because he says this twice. In fact, three times, but twice about himself. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he says at the end of verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Which I think, firstly, is an encouraging thing, because it's saying there is a process here. If you're thinking like, I'm not really living a content life yet. Paul learned this. This was a process that he had to learn. He had to think something through into his own life. He had to work his mind into a new way of thinking about life. I'm going to suggest in just a moment, we're going to do a, a short, I promise-ish, survey of Philippians because I think what, what Paul's been doing in this letter is actually been teaching us all along, almost like undercover, how to live out contentment. Because I've learned this. Something in my, I've been thinking through what it is to live with Christ as my navigation point. I've gained him. And he is my beginning. He is my middle. He is my end. He is the lover of my soul. He is the wellspring of life. He is the end of all things. He is the glory Here's the end. And he's thought all of this through and works out what it means to live under Jesus Christ. And I think what he's doing here at the very end is is asking us, would we learn with him? I mean, I don't think that. He actually says it in verse 9. I'm not making this stuff up. In 4, verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he says, which we've been doing the last 11 weeks, what you've seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So you want the God of peace with you? Like, follow me, track with me, learn with me, and then put these things into practice and then you will receive peace. So think the implications of being a Christian out. Think about all the corners of the beginning of the universe and the end of the universe and where you find yourself right now, being beneath a beautiful and sovereign God. Think out the implications of all of that. It will bring contentment, which is the opposite to what we're told normally. Because if you buy a magazine, you know, it'll offer like the world to you on the front for $4.99. All these different things on offer to you for like four steps here, eight steps there. And generally, like they, they regress to techniques, which, in a sense, aren't bad things. You know, like find a quiet space once a day, you know, go on a retreat once a month or something, you know, limit your time on social media, all things which are like good, yes, amen, but they're techniques. You don't find a secular magazine generally telling you, like, think out the implications of your worldview. Well, I, uh, there was nothing, and then there was this chance thing that happened, Big Bang, three or 13 billion years ago we're part of this kind of process of evolution I'm by chance to be the most educated person on all the planet and uh, us humans are doing well and one day the universe is going to burn out and there'll be nothing again my life won't be accounted for no secular magazine is telling you to sit down and think through the implications of living that out they will tell you your life has value but with no logical conclusions as to how they got there So there's no grounding for that they don't tell you to think things out actually generally we just switch off don't we like Netflix and chill, alcohol, whatever it might be. I don't want to think about things. Too much football. Sorry, confession there. And whatever it is, like I just want to zone out. I don't want to think about. Paul says, No, no. Think through the implications. So what I'm going to do as we close is I've got 13 points. Okay. Are you scared? You should be. No, I'm going to go fast. But I want to just, all I did Friday is I just walked through and I marked 13 things. There are a couple about 13 things that I think we can learn about. If you were to say, yes, I want to gain Christ. I'm, I'm happy to let go of my life, my sin, to gain Christ. If you were to allow your desires, what you really, really want to roar, not just be tepid. What would it mean to live with a God this beautiful and glorious and strong and able A creator, sustainer, glorifying God. Thirteen things, and then we're going to worship. So, firstly, this if we have Christ you need to know this Christ is completing a good work in your life one, one verse seven one verse six I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ so things aren't going for you very well at the moment Jesus Christ is at work completing something in your life and one day you will see all that is happening in your life right now he is at work Secondly, your circumstances don't determine whether you are receiving grace from God or not. So he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. So there's Paul who's in jail, and there's a church in Philippi who are seemingly doing okay at the moment. And he says, You and me, you're free, I'm in jail. We are both receiving grace from God right now. So. Your life circumstances and the things of your life do not determine whether God is pouring out grace upon your life. Don't join the dots up wrongly and say, things haven't gone well, there's no grace of God in my life. No, no, no. Paul says, no, there's grace of God all the time when you're in Christ Jesus. Number three, even hardships and setbacks serve the advance of the gospel under jesus christ 1 verse 12 i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so if you are gospel minded christ minded and you're thinking i want to gain christ even as things fall away from your life you can say but in all of this i trust good can be worked out for the sake of the gospel this is not meaningless fourthly Christ can be honoured in your living and your dying, in your plenty and in your lack. He says in verse 1, verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. So whether you are going through a season of plenty or a season of want, and normally the want is always there, you can know actually whatever I'm going through, Christ can be honoured in my body. Fifthly, suffering is for the sake of Christ. 129 it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. Why? For his sake. So if you go through difficulties in your life, you need to know this it is not pointless. It is under the hand of Christ, and it is for Christ, and it is under his sovereign hand. It is not by chance. You are not floating around in the universe by chance. You are under his sure and steady hand. Number six, in Christ's name, dark suffering will lead to glorious resurrection. This is what he says in chapter two. He accounts Jesus' death on on, on a cross. He says in two verse eight, and being found in a human form, Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that as we follow this Jesus Christ and we find ourselves in him, in his death and in his resurrection, resurrection what happens is that our suffering in this life will lead to a glorious resurrection the future is bright seventhly living a fragile looking life in the world's eyes for christ is actually an honorable thing in chapter 2 he commends epaphroditus he says this so receive him in the lord with all joy this is a man who suffered and risked and in the world's eye would have been probably mocked for living a fragile looking life so, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, you think your life doesn't look like it's much in the world's eyes? Paul says that kind of life is a life to be honored. Eighth, Christ is better than life itself. Three verse 8 Indeed, I, can, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord ninth Christ Jesus has made you his own he says in verse 12 not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own I belong to Jesus and he controls all of the events of history the Heidelberg Catechism that was written in the 1600s in the first question puts it like this what is your only comfort in life and death that I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has faithfully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has, sent me, has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my good. All of that because you are Christ's as a Christian. Tenth, we're almost there. You have a citizenship in heaven, 3 verse 20. He says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. So you feel like you're lacking in your life right now. You feel like you're lonely in your life right now. You feel like you're kind of ruthless. You're not sure where your home really is in this life right now. Don't worry, your citizenship because of Christ is in heaven. There is a home for you and you are going there. Eleventh, your body will be transformed one day. If you've been scrolling through Instagram for too long, you need to memorize this verse, I would suggest. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So that when you're struggling with illness and ill health and you are dissatisfied with the way you look, your body will be glorified in Christ Jesus one day. Jesus Christ twelfthly is close. Chapter four, verse five, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. And finally, God will supply what you need in Jesus. 4 verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? And find write the band back up.